Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wake up in the morning feeling like Waterman is extremely well, she's very slippery. You don't own me. Okay, now the tough question. Is this a try? Yes or no? Just because I'm a woman. <laughs> Hello, tryhards. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Good morning, good evening. It's, it is morning here. It's a drier day. We had a lot of rain yesterday here in Auckland. It's a bit better. Oh, sorry, I, I didn't realise it just tuned into the weather app. <laughs> the shipping forecast. <laughs> oh my goodness. Honestly, I'm like such a Kiwi now. Last night for dinner, we had freshly caught snapper that one of Emily and Tom's friends had been on a boat charter on Sunday and caught fish for us for dinner. Oh, no. I was going to say, did they catch it off the wharf? Uh, they didn't catch it off the wharf, no. Um, so what we started on food. Let's continue with the food theme. I am desperate to know what you had from Greg's this week. <laughs> Did you like the photo that I, I, I hit photo. it? I hit it. <laughs> I love the photo. Um, uh, I'm actually going to disappoint you. Why? I had another bacon roll. Um, however, um. Jill pointed out to me, she was like, did you just have that with no sauce? I was like, I have my minute. Yeah, because, I, oh, well, never again. It Dry bacon sandwich, not, no, never it, again. Did it not um, have the, um, didn't have the egg blanket in it? I have no idea what that is. The omelette, the egg blanket. Oh. <laughs> um, no. Oh. no, I don't know what it had in it, but it wasn't that tasty. Um. I was a little bit, little bit upset by it. Um, and then Callum, who I think is maybe aware of the social media interest, um, yeah. informed me straight away actually on Saturday, by the way, we can't have Greg's on Sunday because it doesn't open till 10 and we oh. were on air at, um, well, I mean, my call time was 1.30. So, um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I really like that this weekend just gone. Um, obviously, was working on Saturday, doing interviews, live hits on camera, coaches interviews, all this kind of stuff. And my dad sent me two messages, one to tell me how much he uh, thought Joy did a great job um, refereeing, and then to tell me how uh, gorgeous you looked. No, no feedback for myself, but just, you know, other women. So I was like, brilliant. Thanks, Dad um first of all cheers nick and secondly you talk about the greg's the interest in the greg's post not gonna lie that uh that that orange top has picked up some traction of its own did you borrow it off of the mask <laughs> i bought it in rome darling i oh, had a couple you? of people reach out to ask me where it's from and i bought it in rome um so, I mean, it makes me sound super posh. I don't yeah. think it was that expensive, um, but yeah. And interestingly, we had then had a bit of a debate because we're, deciding what to wear is obviously quite a, 
a big kerfuffle for me. Yeah. Um, am I smart enough? Am I um am I gonna be comfortable? Um, will I have sweat patches by the end yeah. of it when we've been under lights for hours? Yeah. <laughs> Where will the sweat patches be? <laughs> um, that's always an interesting one. Um, and uh, yeah, so we were talking about it, and actually, Lewis, who is um, the director, was like, Well, I think you should wear the orange top again at some point because if people like it, yeah. it's all about sustainable fashion. And I was like, Yes, that's a good point. So I'm going to let the people speak at some point. If I keep getting messages about it, that bad boy might be coming out at some point, semi-final, final time. I've obviously got a capsule wardrobe for this uh, Rugby World Cup because I didn't want to have, you know, loads and loads and loads of different outfits. So I built a capsule wardrobe. And actually, you've reminded me, I've got to go and take my trousers to be taken up today. So thank you for putting that into my head because they're about four inches too long. So... Um considering you broke your heels on the first weekend <laughs> i have got another pair in fact i'm gonna wear a i'm gonna wear my skirt from the capsule wardrobe this saturday and Ooh. i'm gonna wear my trousers when they've been taken up on sunday so thank you all to look forward to this weekend um talking of greg's i am fully on the um auckland pie train now this is my life. Oh, the, the, the pie. Hang on. The pie when I said, oh, can you have a mince and cheese? And you said you turned your nose up at me. I oh, haven't James. had a mince and cheese. I haven't had a steak and cheese. I have not touched the cheese pies. I've had peppered steak. I've had steak and mushroom. I've had chicken and mushroom. The steak and mushroom has been my favorite so far. Um, there's a lovely pie shop down the road from where we live called Mustard Kitchen, which on Wednesday, England are training just down the road and I'll have to walk past Mustard Kitchen to get there. So I might even go and buy Simon Middleton a pie on my way down just to endear him to me ahead of the weekend. I think it might. I think you're, you're better off giving it to Berna or someone like that. They'll be more impressed. Hey. <laughs> She's looking good. She's looking good. They all look um, like they haven't been eating pies. Though, listen to this. There's been a big story in the press over here. North of... Fongaray, where teams have been, there is a pie shop that the USA girls spent a thousand dollars in. <laughs> in one hit. <laughs> That's amazing. That is some doing. That is some going to spend a grand on pie. So uh, I haven't how seen much are they, How much are they a pie? Oh, like three quid five, four quid like dollars. yeah five. i was gonna say they're not more than five dollars are they no it's a that's lot unbelievable pie. either there's a hell of a markup on all the extras other than pies so drinks and stuff yeah. and they got through a lot of pies yeah when we lived there when we lived there um growing up we as a family absolutely loved the pies and mum used to buy boxes so cardboard boxes of frozen pies that would come back and then be um like thawed out whatever and defrosted and um we'd put them in the microwave frozen. pardon cook a pie from frozen nolly yeah well we well yeah so you put but we put it in the microwave take the top off once it was warm take the top off pour ketchup in it but bam back so disgusting that is so <laughs> disgusting i have no words for how disgusting that is that's vile. I do also one thing I'd like you to check out actually yeah. is if they still do Raro. Raro? What's Raro? Raro. So Raro is the equivalent of our squash, but it's all powder. So you've got like powder packets and it, they do the most 
exotic amazing flavors um that you can think of but shall we talk about some of the actual rugby that we saw last weekend another six bumper matches across two days here in new zealand um i actually rode the bus to Whangarei on saturday so my day felt about 400 hours long um after the bus journey up and back uh but it was worth it when i got there did anyone stand at the front sing some songs Get the, get no, the, I mean, uh, the old media crew bouncing. Mate, I, did, <laughs> I literally, like, with all due respect to my esteemed colleagues who are here, there's not an ounce of banter on that bus. Um, I actually put on the WhatsApp group the night before, uh, making my bus debut tomorrow. Should I prepare a song for the return journey? Yeah, nothing, nothing. So um, if any of you are listening, let's up the game. I, there, there was a beer fridge in the media room. So obviously I filled my bag for the journey home, getting on the bus. Anyone want a beer? Anyone want a beer? Sam from the women's rugby show, actually, he's redeemed himself because he got on the bus and he got a couple of Stein lagers out the fridge as well. But um, yeah, I feel like the bus needs to up its game this weekend. I have to say that the um, kind of subdued nature of the bus did continue for me because obviously the first game up on the weekend was... Um, Oh, actually, no, it wasn't. It was Japan-America. USA got the bonus point win there. Um, I'm sure that Claire Thomas is absolutely devastated as a massive Japanese rugby fan. Um, But USA back to winning ways as kind of expected pre-tournament. And then that was followed by Scotland-Australia, which unfortunately for me meant another week of having to um, ask pretty hard questions of of the kind of Scotland coach and captain and you know with both of them as always they front up but just a devastating eighth loss on the bounce for that team yeah it's gutting um I will caveat my analysis at the moment with watching things live slash watching them very tired um and not having sat down and been a proper geek just quite yet. Um, I'm still recovering from Sunday. So, um, yeah, I think the you've got to credit the Aussies. I think, um, I know we've got slightly different views on them for next week, but I really rate them as a team. I think they gave away a lot of penalties and some silly errors, but some of the glimpses of rugby that they've got in them, a class, Teresa is like, beast mode she absolutely battered her way through um on the line break which led to the second try um yeah and like it was got on herself like she's she's class and I think I just look at them and just think and they got the Scotland um set piece on toast a couple of times but they just lack any continuity in their own game right because they just don't ever play um but then saying that it's not a bad opposition you know I know that they were really excited to not be playing New Zealand but to to have New Zealand as the only team that you get to play, you've got some decent women that you're up against. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So like that, you know, that, but I, yeah, I, I, I'm obviously, I feel, I, I feel so, so bad for the Scotland girls. Um, you obviously used your uh, feels like deja vu line of last week with yeah. Rachel. I mean, did you like double down on that and say it again? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a difficult thing for me. The kind of context of me saying that last week, for those who weren't aware, is that um, I did Scotland, France in the Scotland, France. I did Wales, Scotland in the um, Six Nations this year, and was really tough. And and Rachel was very upset after that. And then again last week, and then 
you know, this weekend just gone is the same thing. And, and it's really hard, you know, play, I've got huge amounts of um, respect and affection for Rachel Malcolm. She's a really amazing, amazing woman and, and really, you know, great person to spend time with and um, got to spend some time socially with her during the Toulouse Sevens this year. And, and I just really like her as a person. Um, so it's hard when you're having to ask someone questions about, about losing, because, you know, the reality is as well, you can give your commiserations, but you have to ask questions of why they're losing. I think for me, the most difficult thing with that on Saturday wasn't so much Rachel this weekend because she wasn't as visibly upset as she'd been the weekend before, but Brian Eason's a coach that I've got, um, a lot of time for in, in, in that kind of space and situation, because he's somebody who, um, has such clear respect for journalists and and is very open and and you know I had a really nice chat with him um, before the game and I, I interviewed him pre match but just had a little social chat with him about his dogs one of his dogs got attacked in kennels last week and um, you know just had a, a friendly chat mm-hmm. and then it's really hard to kind of like move the needle and change the dial a bit for that post match interview and, and I have to ask somebody you know. Um, if winning is a habit for teams is losing becoming a habit for this one. And that's difficult. You know, it's hard for them as well to look ahead and think, where is this win coming from? They haven't won a game since their Columbia qualifier at the beginning of this year. You know, let's, let's be honest. And with all due respect to the girls, they're not going to get one this coming weekend against the, the mighty black ferns up in Fongeray. So, you know, it's tough for them and, it, and it's going to be tough for them to go home from this rugby world cup with, you know, the context for them is that there are points on the board. They've got two losing bonus points, but they would have wanted a huge amount more from this World Cup than what they're going to return home with. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> you know, it's gutting because I know how much, like, they all put in and give up to be, you know, away from home yeah. basically all the time because they've got to play down in England. Um, which I know it's not that far in the grand scheme of lots of people travel across like, they around the world to play and things, but um, there's girls that have given up years and years and years and, and waited for the opportunity. And then when you feel like an opportunity slips through your fingers and you can't do anything about it and it's been kind of left fumbling of like, why? And I suppose the only, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see how many of those players stick around for 2025, um, given that it's naturally, you know, not that long away. You know, you think mm. it's probably what, 18 months really because once they've come yeah. back it you're 2022 is done and then you it's only a season and a half and you're back fully into the swing yeah. of another world cup so um that'll be interesting and, and given that this the scottish uh, rugby union are giving full full-time contracts um to a significant proportion of them will that make it easier um i think i probably... wonder what's going to happen as well because if you're someone like rona lloyd who you know really talented player she'll be someone who's really disappointed about this you know do you want a bit of space from 15s do you go for gb7s when you get back i know she obviously she plays her rugby in france so that's a different context as well because you know she she, i know she enjoys her club rugby over there but you know does she and there are others you know when hannah smith has been around that gb7 squad in the past um chloe rolly's not going to play rugby for a while by the looks of how severe her injuries seem to be um that was wrist on Saturday but you know which is some of them look at that GB7's route now and you know how much psychologically when you come off of a loss like that do you need space from the game or or are you someone who's kind of of the attitude you get back on the bike um 
I I think the reason Scotland have made such strides and massive improvement is the fact that a significant proportion of their backline went across and did sevens and had that opportunity to be pretty much full-time, um, go and experience big matches in big stadiums with big crowds, you know, skills under pressure, go to Olympic Games, like all of that. They got to experience it and it made them better as a, as a 15 side. I think it makes it difficult for the 15 side in terms of continuity, but it also grows their depth. So if I was one of those senior players, I would go, you know, push hard for the opportunity to go to an Olympic Games. Do you know what I mean? Like that's potentially huge for them. Saturday, the big one, uh, nearly a million viewers on ITV was, of course, England, France. Uh, it's really interesting because I saw a couple of things yesterday that said um, that it changed the kind of context of the tournament and made... Um, opponents sit up and realise that England were beatable, which I found really interesting because it was a close game. It's always a close game between those two teams. We've seen some of the least entertaining matches of Six Nations between those two sides in, in years gone by. Um, but I don't think we necessarily saw anything from England and then saw anything from other teams that makes me think that there is someone who's going to beat England at this World Cup. So I actually, did I say that in an interview? I can't remember. I feel like I've said something similar to that in terms of England are beatable. Um, I suppose what it showed is that they, they those games are always close and they're not like, that. I mean, I've worked on one when it was like, we thought it was going to be nil-nil at half time. And we were on BBC with no breaks. <laughs> it's like, oh God, we got 15 minutes to talk about like, anything other than like, a try. anyway, we luckily got a try from Poppy Cleal. But um, I think the fact that they, with like 68% possession, percent, percent possession, 70% territory, and they only got one try, I think, for me, is what... that's. I did say it, didn't I? Because there's a big clip on social media that I retweeted, in fact. Um, I think it that is what shows that they're a beatable side in that they had all of that. And in every other game, it's never been like that. It's never been that much dominance by England. And France stopped them from, from scoring um, and running away with lo loads of tries. And I think... I, the French defence was just ridiculous. Um, Philippon and Vernier in the centres. Oh, my days. Like, they're good players, and they all used to come up with, like, a big shot when you play them. you think, how have you tackled? It's probably, like, a bit like me. It's like, how have you like, whacked me like that? But it wouldn't. It was, like, tackle after tackle after tackle. And, like, clearly with the injuries, like, honestly, I was devastated to see Sansu go down because I just knew that it would change the game like and I was just like oh. tournament yeah and and it but it on the back and we haven't really spoke about it but with Chloe Raleigh going off um with Alicia Butchers going off you know these are the these these teams best players and I want as a rugby fan the best the teams to have their best players to play the best rugby yeah and you know it's now come out that Chloe's broken her arm, so she's not she's not available. Obviously, Alicia's gone home already. Um, and ACL. Yeah, ACL, so she's out. Interestingly, she talked about this being her last World Cup and retiring. I'm fascinated to see whether she does retire from this yeah. or whether she comes back and plays because to finish like a world-class career on an injury like that 
yeah it's tough it's that I mean yeah but then to come back to it at that level anyway it's, it's not bad bringing all, on board all Dom. three of those injuries have taken have happened on that same pitch at Fongaray which is a real grass pitch all of the bad yeah. injuries we've seen so far have all been at Fongaray the curse of Fongaray uh, but sorry, as you say, bored on. But the girls are really excited by playing this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and then obviously, you know, Manager goes down, and you're thinking, no, like, how, what on earth? Um, and that was quite horrible to watch. Like, the cameras didn't stay on it that long for us, but you saw how floppy she was when yeah, Leanne moved terrible. ahead and then her body. And like, you were there. Like, what was it like? Well, I was there and kind of unfortunately was sat literally in line with it so I, I watched the first half because I was going to interview Lark at half time I sat with the England non-playing squad um in the stand shared their sweets with them um but what do they have oh these amazing like green apple sour things that were so good like delicious and then a bag of Haribo um that were they were shaped like aeroplanes but I thought they were chicken's feet um but good <laughs> selection like really impressive um Tatiana Hurd how were they like, were they on good form yeah great they... form uh, my hearing's just about coming back because Rosie Gallagher was behind me and my god that girl could shout um <laughs> and then um Tats was behind me as well and I think she was sat there kind of listening to the you could hear a lot of, of very loud England fans on the other side of the ground and I know that she was concerned you know last kickoff of the day top tourist Tracy on the other side of the stands and and you could hear a kind of northern shouting England every now and again I thought it is probably your mum so it was that was it was nice obviously to to spend some time and chat with them and they're on really really good form and um as nervous as they'd been the week before um they seemed like a different side this week which is ironic considering um you know the game was much tighter and and uh, much more competitive um, but yeah, we were sat in front of where the um, menage injury happened. And I kind of, I won't talk in detail about what we what we saw because it was really horrific. Um, but I have to kind of have a word about, about Joy Neville and the way that, um, you know, as a, as a referee, she, she's got a lot of life-saving um, and um, emergency medicine training that she's done. And hey. Joy... And she, it was a joy. Did you say it was a joy? (laughs) And her leaping into action, you know, it's rare to see referees kind of um, have to do that or do that. But she literally got down on the ground and supported Menager's head and laid there until the medics got on. But she did it. She she acted so quickly. It was almost like she prioritized the kind of like health of that player as opposed to going through the motions of like sticking her hands in the air like she knew I've got to get down and support her head before putting my hands up in the air to signal to the bench like if I get down on the ground they're going to know they've got to get on and and yeah it was amazing and and what I thought was really amazing was that you know she was laid on the ground with the player for a few minutes whilst they kind of assessed the situation because it was clearly quite serious and then you know gets up and 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 compartmentalizes that and continues to officiate on that match at, at you know that kind of high level that we expect of joy and and yeah I was just amazed by her it was it was incredible and, and it was quite affecting for everybody in the ground because obviously we'd seen Sansus go down and, and it 
that was sad to see a player leave the field who, you know, we know was expected to light the tournament up. And then Menager, who's, a, you know, a quality player, world-class player, um, and it'd be very, very severe. But there was a little bit of light relief. And I'm not sure if this has come across on TV, but where the players are removed from the pitch on that golf buggy, there are a lot of cables for the cameras and there's like a little hump that the cart has to get over. Now, when Sansus went off... now. I will also say that we learned from this last week because when Alicia Butchers went off last week, they had to lift the golf buggy over the hump to get her off the pitch. This week, the man driving the golf buggy looked about 70 years old and he thought, I can clear this if I go as fast as I possibly can. <laughs> and unfortunately, he didn't clear it. He hit it and the buggy <gasps> bounced backwards off of it. And poor Sansus is on the back of this. Like she's just done her ACL and the whole crowd are like, oh. <laughs> but then Menager, when they were taking her off, the crowd are expecting the same thing. Now bear in mind, this has been a really severe injury and people, it silenced the crowds. But as the golf buggy is now <laughs> the, um, where the hump is, the- everyone <laughs> in the main stand is like, Oh, and the English girls behind me like this is really not funny. This like this is not funny, and the whole crowd are like oh. <laughs> and as they get there, by this point they realise and they've removed the hump, so the golf buggy then just glides over these cables, oh. and everyone was like oh, and then all the England girls laughed at that. I was like, see, it's very hard, even in the most serious of circumstances, not to laugh at something <laughs> that is just really funny. So, yeah, um, I got to interview Alex Matthews at at full time as well, player of the match, um, which was, you know, the last time I'd seen Al Math was uh, at your wedding. Um, Party Al. Yeah, I didn't. Party Al was out that night, but I didn't um, I didn't ask her um about uh what topping she had on her pizzas at the Morelli wedding. I did ask her about the game, but what I really enjoyed was Charlotte her partner her fiance um had said to her the week before that she really wanted one of those player of the match trophies because she's such a nerd and alex got one after you know five days of asking so pretty decent turnaround um I, i'm not saying that that charlotte wears the trousers um she normally wears a dress that's split all the way up the back but it does say <laughs> to me that alex is very under the thumb that she uh that she knows what she's she's asked to bring home from from this little holiday that we're all on here so well they they're decorating a new house aren't they yeah. i um it's interesting with alex because as soon as she made that first carry i asked phil to clip it and said we're gonna have a run at alex and then we did but it wasn't like it was interesting because it was i mean she had like 20 something carries didn't she and every single one was like beat at least one one yeah. or two defenders um we didn't use it in our analysis run um because we obviously looked at some of the, like the injury and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, that first run, I knew like, she's like an absolute stormer because the week before she had a stormer, but it was like an under the radar stormer because she did like so much graft and grit and horribly boring stuff, like tackle after tackle, like getting stuck in the breakdowns and things like that. But yeah, it was a different story as soon as she carried off that, um, that line out. I think, you know, for, from my perspective, just with England, I think, it's there's been lots of chat about how how they're performing and are they as good as you know are they as good can people beat them blah blah blah. I suppose the only major thing for me is 
their their lack of creativity um away from what is clearly their game plan yeah I know I've played in it it hasn't changed that much um and my my concern isn't that they aren't good enough to play it it's their confidence to play a different game plan and you know we've seen in the press about how Mo wasn't picked because of how she's an instinctive player now is there concern and worry in the camp that we've got our roles we do our jobs look they do them really really well in England and it's very successful for England but then it becomes a battle of the coaches, doesn't it? When if you've got a team that can outmuscle or can hold with you and stay with you, whether that's defending the line out, you know, Amy Kikane's darts this week were fantastic, but it doesn't say much about the confidence in the bench if Amy plays 80 minutes, Leanne Riley plays, uh, Leanne Infante plays 80 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, what happens this weekend then? Because I think the context of this is really interesting. Now, you'd expect him to give some game time to players who haven't played yet because obviously England have qualified for a quarterfinal at this stage, but is he going to chase points this weekend? Because New Zealand will get three bonus point wins. Let's be, you know, frank about it. Canada have already got two bonus point wins. And then they've got the challenge of of USA who were a lot better last weekend against Japan. So do England have to go out for a bonus point win and and a margin so that they get that second seeding or does it not really matter? Like you're going to play who you're going to play? Um, It doesn't, it doesn't. Cause it, it depends on, uh, I was trying to see on how the seedings out of the semifinals go. Cause theoretically you would say you want one, two, three, four to all avoid it. Like you want one and two to avoid each other in a semifinal. So you then say one V four, whoever comes out of the one V four game, whoever comes out of the two, like, do you know what I mean? Two V yeah. three. Um, it's interesting because in his interview, I don't know whether it was, it might have even been with you, and um, when he talks about how he wants to get everyone game time, but he doesn't know whether that's going to happen. Yeah. I have a feeling there'll be players that don't get aren't involved and they're still not involved, um, which I think is, isn't good. I think it's like, you know, in, it's in total contrast to Wayne Smith, who yeah. in press conference saying... I just want these girls, he's quoted in the press in a med- in an article I read and interviews, I want these girls to be playing. They give up so much to play. Yeah. I want them to experience this. I need them to go out and enjoy themselves. Do I know my best team? I, In my opinion, yes, he does. Yeah. Um, it, it, like, it's really interesting because in the men's game, there are lots of coaches that are known for manipulating the press so they will they will throw curveballs in to get you know eddie is renowned for throwing a curveball warren gatlin throws a curveball to take the eyes off of his team yeah no one is talking about how any of the coaches are manipulating the press or the media in like and 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 wayne smith is a very very bright man the way he talks about his team the way he's talking about it he's not divulging who he's got going to be playing like what's his best team that his his players are listening to that you know the way that he he's quoted saying that Zoe Harrison is the best kicker in the women's game you know rightly or wrongly maybe she I don't think she's showing her best games yet yeah um is he really gonna say that when his captain's a fly half and who's got a really good kicking game I don't know I just feel like 
maybe in the women's game we've been naive to some things and we just need to just I don't know not take everything of course, for face value. Of course Wayne Smith's going to approach it in a different way because he comes from the men's game as well like he's just you know he's going about things the way that he would if he was coaching an, an all-black side or, or one of the the key you know provincial sides so yeah it is interesting though. I don't know I just I just want I want the girl like it was really cool like I really enjoyed uh, waking up to see the girls have been to the Bay of Islands. They're in different location. They're yeah. doing different things. Different groups are together. Like, do you know what I mean? I, I love seeing that because, like you've said, going out and enjoying yourself. As players, you need to. This is a long, long tour. They're only two games in, and yet they will have felt like they've been there for about six months. Yeah, like it's I, like those tours are incredibly long, and especially for the girls that haven't played. Because you think you've got two contrasting groups now. You've got girls that have played in two fixtures that are knackered emotionally, physically, yeah. psychologically, you know, going toe-to-toe with the with the French. Like, that's battered them. The feet Fijians, even the scoreline, that battered them. And then you've got other girls that are the emotional toll of doing all the training and not getting picked and being upset about it but still having to be positive around the squad. And- What's also the... You know, obviously, these squads are bigger because of... Uh, well-being but also there's an additional game in this world cup do you think in your opinion would he be foolish not to use all of these unused players this weekend because you know there are another three games afterwards as opposed to the two that we would have had in previous world cups i personally wouldn't change everyone in um who do you think needs game time i think all of them do but um and the good thing about England is you could put any of them into a quarter final, and they'd they'd be they're all good enough to be yeah. in that starting shirt for England. There's not a di- real difference, and that's the that's the quality that England have over pretty much every other team. Um, although New Zealand are starting to show that their bench is a little bit of their like non main twenty three are pulling through as well. Um, it's probably the thing that I took from this weekend was actually that they they're on a massive upward trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think like. I wouldn't make wholesale changes just because of the continuity in play. You don't want to have a game where everyone gets changed and then it becomes really disjointed and you don't play very well. And South Africa aren't a team that are going to lay down. They're going to... Some of the tackles for in the South Africa-Fiji game were savage. Was that the game of the weekend, do you think? <laughs> no, the, the, the end, it was the end of the game yeah. was the best bit. Um, not going to lie. The middle bit after being up from 115, I was going a little bit cross-eyed when they were just throwing the ball around and not not really going anywhere or doing anything. <laughs> Ending made it brilliant. Yeah, I was gutted for Lynn Campbell, absolutely gutted. Um, you you have mentioned the Black Ferns there. Let's have a, a quick word on that that Wales Black Ferns game. Um, I actually feel like it's a difficult one because it is 15 girls playing sevens for Black Ferns at times. But I don't think the score necessarily did Wales justice. I thought, you know, I've watched a lot of that team over the past few years. That's the best that their set pieces functioned, both the line out and the scrum. They went really well. I think that Johan Cunningham's got a real headache on his hands this week because Karis Phillips wasn't fit and available last week. So Kelsey started and she had the game of her life. And I'm, what a time to have the game of your life against the Black Ferns. But she was absolutely superb. And I, I do wonder what he does this weekend. Do you drop a player who's in great form to bring someone back in from injury? Or do you, does he leave her there in a game that is must win? Um, 
so it's very interesting the context of that um I thought that you know Wales showed some real glimpses of stuff but don't do enough necessarily in attack so I'm really interested to hear what your what they need to be doing this weekend against Australia in a game that is must win I think there's they're really up against it this weekend I genuinely do because I think the Australians like I've said, I think they gave away unnecessary penalties and made some mistakes. And so they lack continuity. But if you look at the bits when they get going, they're brilliant. Um, I think Wales will take them apart to an extent up front um, just because of the inconsistency in the Aussies. But they whacked back the, the, um, the Scottish girls a few times, got penalties and things at scrum time. That's what they're... That's what that's how they won in the end was from a was from a scrum penalty um, and a scrum play. So, like I think for Wales, it's it's capitalizing and utilizing the territory that they're getting, um, and you know they they're managing to eat penalties from teams, which is really really good and really impressive. They they they're inserting pressure the pressure points in different parts of the game, which is giving them the ball, which is giving them. Um, the ability to kick to the corners and, and get get into their stride, they have to score. They have to. They That's have the to problem, get away with it. They, they've got lots of. If you if you look at the kind of stats of those kind of red zone visits versus points scored, that is grim reading for Johan Cunningham. You know, if you look at how many times they are in teams, you know, twenty two, and they come away with nothing. Do you think that there's a chance we'll see a different kind of game plan? As you said, you know, Australia gave away penalties last weekend. Is this where Johan Cunningham says, okay, it's not fun, it's it's not necessarily entertaining, but if we get down there, if you win a penalty, we just go go sticks every time you go for post, you go for post and build a score? Yeah, I think so, because Australia have shown that like they they'll come back into a game. But I think um for me, I think, you know, Megan Webb did brilliantly in the first game against Scotland um, in that 13 shirt. And, you know, obviously, you know, she's a talented player, but he massively underestimated the physicality of the Kiwis out wide. You know, yeah. Portia Woodman was just, she was just saying else. Like, and she's just, you know, and Brunt as well at 13. She, in my opinion, was just like outstanding in that yeah. 13 but, and it, and the reason Portia could defend like she did was because her connection with Brunt like that was what was impressive people say oh Portia and I even I said it on tv like Portia was ridiculous in defense like the way she caught Jazz but she was able to not even worry about her inside because obviously she was getting the call or she was trusting that Brunt was there um and but yet Megan wasn't there for Jazz when she needed her, like as in like you know, and 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 that's it's not to be too harsh on her or anything like that. But I I would say you've got to bring some beef back into that back line. Yeah. Um, I, I can imagine bringing back in Karis uh, William Morris. I think the problem is, is I don't think she's played that well for Wales yeah. in the warm up games. Unfortunately, um, for whatever reason, she's not showing what I've seen in it. Like her as a player, I think, but. I yeah I would I'd beef up the team a bit what I found um, interesting is you know we've talked about this use of of 32 player squads and players getting game time from Johan Cunningham's perspective I do wonder did he think that Wales would take any points from that game you know not necessarily a win but losing bonus points try bonus points Wales aren't scoring lots of tries against any opposition in you know the 18 months that he's been in post so I do wonder why it felt like lambs to the slaughter. Kaylee Powell, for me, is one of Wales' most important players. She had a really long day at the office. That was that was hard work in that fullback shirt for her. And and you know, towards the end of the game, 
I think it was another one of Porsche's scores. There was a, a slow-mo replay on screen of Kaylee just kind of burying her head in the grass. And you wonder how much, you know, that impacts them going into a game this weekend. They have to win and they are going to be knackered. And again, it's a six-day turnaround. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it, that they... Um... Six days makes loads. Um, I um, <laughs> um, I I am surprised they made very few. He made such few changes for that game. It didn't. It didn't seem ne- seem ne- necessary. <laughs> seem necessary. Come on, Come on. <laughs> I'm still so tired. Um, I'm struggling. For, I we we've been talking a lot, and I do want to talk about the Fiji game only because South Africa mainly because. Think I've got a new favourite player. All right. Okay. Burner. Burner. I'm sorry. I love you to pieces. You'll always be my favourite, of course, but <laughs> Rasso Lear. Oh my days. Oh my the days. The Fiji Tide. 80, 80 minutes, 11 carries in the first half, 10 carries in the second half, didn't go missing. Hurt her wrist at one point. We were like, no, she's going up. No, got back up again. Was was a massive part of them scoring the winning try. So Donu got the ball off the kickoff, restart. She's class up yeah. in the air. Um, got the ball back, recycled it. Who to? The old, uh, the, the, the truck, as I was calling her. Um, she does this beautiful little offload, which is then gets them, the that carry gets them the penalty. And try. What a woman. Yeah, I was. What a woman. And her interview afterwards, just even better. She got quite emotional um, and just, yeah, I think she got player of the match. Well, yeah, she got player of the match. I was gutted for South Africa because of Lynn Cantwell. But, you know, this is, as we, you know, talked about the week before when they played England, this is Fiji's first World Cup. And they have been the best value for money team so far. They have absolutely. bought it it's, not, it's one of those three things tries they're England. like an under the radar fan favorite because obviously the Fijian community here is massive and the amount of Fijians who were at the game on Sunday so you know they were they were absolutely superb Love well, um the Fijian community and also is it the Tongan community in Welsh kit that we saw well yeah because of the theater no. obviously there's a big yeah. One of my favorites was one of the fans who had a moku. It was a man, but he had like Matt. It was kind of like like a um, an islander tattoo, but it wasn't. It was bright green, and he had like a red red uh, wig on. All the Welsh flags, class, absolutely class. So good. It was amazing, and it was really um, that was really special to see them. They all had like um, Tongan pride T-shirts on with Welsh flags on them as well, and. Yeah, loved that. That was really cool. It was really cool, actually, this weekend. Again, like, you know, um, I know they said that um, Waitakere was a sellout on Sunday. Um, it was really hard to what, judge. What part of it was sold out? The bit where well, they were, no, like, the weren't is, showing on TV? But the stand, <laughs> the stand was sold out, but the sun was shining. So everyone just went and sat on the grass. Because that's the bit that they'd sold out was the stand. But because they were like, well, obviously the weather's really nice. We'll go and sit on the grass instead. Though I will say... Look, World Rugby have done some things absolutely amazingly with this World Cup. And actually, in the defence of World Rugby, isn't their decision-making. It's NZRU. I don't think they've got the stadiums right. Waitakere is not the right ground for this. Regardless of capacity, anything like that, it isn't a rugby stadium. 
it's like if you're from South Wales, it's basically Jenna Park. You'll get what I mean. But it's there's a massive athletics track around that pitch. You feel so far away as a fan. And that bank, like obviously at Fongaray, you sit on the bank and you're watching rugby from the bank and it's cool and it's very kind of feels like a very South Island um, agricultural rugby club. It's not the same at Waitakere. If you're on that bank, you may as well be sat the next village over because you're so far away from the pitch. And for me, it it's a real disservice to the rugby this weekend. And it also kind of, you lost the intimacy that you've had at like the other games because you've got the track, which has acted as like a buffer zone away from the fans. And it felt disconnected. Whereas at Fongaray in the stand, you are on top of the pitch. And from the other side, you can approach the backboards of, of the advertising and, and, and be kind of over the the um, dugouts and stuff. And obviously Eden Park's Eden Park. So yeah, from my perspective, there's lots of things that have been fantastic about this, but that is my kind of biggest negative takeaway from this World Cup so far is that NZOU have really dropped the ball with the selection of that ground, especially when North Harbour Stadium is here in Auckland and they could have played it there. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It didn't look good on TV, unfortunately, because right. it looked really sporadic. It didn't look full. And you'd thinking, hang on a second, New Zealand are playing. Yeah. And like, and it's empty. Yeah. It, it clearly wasn't, but it looked like hardly anyone was there. Um, and then I suppose the other, the other battle um, they've got is having the a tick one ticket for three games and that kind of natural flow and how does that work and it clearly it doesn't um so working that out as a strategy moving into with England will be interesting to see and you know and I suppose it's something that the RFU are working really hard at, at the moment actually for 2025 is where are the hotbeds of rugby that yeah. we can really sell out crowds where can what stadiums work for us yeah and I think that that's the benefit that we've got with more test matches here with big premier 15s games yeah. like they can test places to see right it you know it, it needs to work on lots of different levels um but yeah it didn't it didn't look great when you've got the hacker and like you know half the stand one, one thing I, I would really like to say to the RFU if anyone's listening who is part of the organization of that World Cup we know the reasoning that Welford Road couldn't host games in 2015 let's hope that as opposed to saying no to them this time around there is a long-term ambition of how to make that ground work we know it's because of the changing room capacity there's no reason that car park behind can't have four temporary changing rooms put in it but for me Welford Road has got to be on the list of, of venues that hosts women's world cup games next time round, and I hope it doesn't get chalked off early doors because of the issues that that ground had in 2015 and the reasoning that it couldn't host games then so that's just my little plea to the RFU today oh Fancy a trip and night out in Leicester, do we? Oh, I love, love Leicester. Love it. Jokes. One thing that we do need to mention, obviously, massive news um, recording this on Monday, um, is that Wasps has now gone into administration. And uh, it's so strange, isn't it? That I mean, obviously, this has been building and building and building, but the fact that it's happened to Worcester and all of a sudden it's straight away happened to wasp it's like hmrc have all of a sudden done their paperwork <laughs> you know I mean? they've got to a, a pile that's that's rugby um that i just i i'm 
genuinely devastated yeah. for so many amazing people and and unfortunately the women's game in the bigger perspective bigger kind of piece of this are unscathed to an extent because they're also connected to wasps fc down in london um that said all of the, the money and the wages and everything coming through uh, is from the rfc so that anything like that has gone um so they are really that like they're now trying to work out what do they yeah. do but they're not kicked out of the league like yeah. at the moment like um like has happened with worcester um so i think that's you know from that perspective there's just literally tiny tiny glimmer of of, of um, light for them but there's still a lot to work through um and you know the fact that that relationship that Giselle started building with um with Coventry and you know with the men's game and I don't know I having played for the club they are a special club they've got so much history they really lean into that and they love it and they're proud of it and it was and it's proud and you're a proud person to have to be part of it when you when you're in it um and I just think about all of the people that I know all the players um the coaches I don't know just they're a very young coaching group as well it's not like you know they've been around the block and they've really started to own their style and own own who they are it's incredibly hard and as with the WRA the um we're working at the moment we've been in contact with the players and um LJ and Casey and the RFU and we're looking at working out like communication because it is a totally different position in some senses to Worcester um so the team have been working really hard to make sure that we can get that information out and get to speak to them and yeah my 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 reminder to the girls that are listening to this and and to, and to parents um you know reach out to us that's what we're there for because it's the unknown that makes this all so hard um, and everyone just thinks that the best is going to happen. I think that was the message on the back of Worcester. It's like we kind of just thought it might not happen. And this is the same, you know, we thought it might not happen. And, you think, you know, <clears throat> you've just said all of that history, all of that once was, always was, all of that kind of surely someone's going to step in and take this big, massive brand and, and make it all right again. Yeah. That might not happen. And yeah. I think that that's a really scary place to be when it's literally gone like from un from underneath you um and all of the people that make that work whether that you know on all of the different all of the different jobs that they they do in the, the running of these clubs so yeah big love to you all one thing that um i want to end this podcast on i know this comes from both of us um is last weekend in the prem cup um a good friend of of nolly's and and, and mine um vicky fleetwood was um injured um Fleeto we love you so so much and we want to send you all of our love and dedicate our pod to you I know that everybody in rugby will rally around and send you lots of love and get you better that's lovely so on that note try hard we'll see you next week Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 